Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you chiching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Riley Walker points at the musician on stage and he goes, Ladies and gentlemen, Danny fucking Thompson, right? And someone in the audience goes, Yeah, mate, we know who he is. Who the fuck are you? I forgot he's down the That is great. That's great. Oh, for the, the for a really good heckle, eh? Yeah. I've never felt I'd seen him twice, Riley Walker, because I saw him first at Hoxton, was it Hoxton Bar or something? Oh, great. Um, and uh, I've never felt so in with the in crowd because it was like all the music jerks. <laughs> so Pete Perfides is there with Caitlin, and you know they're all, everyone's standing around. There's like 150 people watching Riley Walker. Um, and who was it? Pete Perfides was going on all about it after the day after. I can't remember who else was there, but I thought, wasn't it? I mean, I mean with the I mean with the 40 something in crowd. Riley Walker's playing Port Elliot. Really? Is he? Yeah, he's great. Do you really like that stuff? Really? Yeah. What? Richard Thompson? Well, when you say that stuff... John Martin. John Martin. What stuff are you referring 70s to? 70s British fucking folk music. It's yeah, not folk I music. Do. You, OK, John Martin I think it's, it's time for me to tell you something British about Matthew. fucking folk music. What? <laughs> His parents are folk musicians. He was brought up in a home. That's the. That's the oh. He lives in Lewis. Okay. He lives in that, that growing. I'm that so great, sorry. I'm sorry if you lost. <laughs> there was a great internet meme of a photo of a dog staring into a camera with two people playing guitars in the background. And someone had put a caption that said, Save Petra from Folk Museum, yeah. donate now. Because yeah. <laughs> the dog's like this. So, Matthew, you may not wish to reveal this if it's being recorded, but was your childhood being dragged round festivals and pubs? And no, but the Morris were often in our garden. <laughs> <laughs> they were always referred to as the Morris. The Morris. They were there in the morning when you were Morris. They'd Morris. come in a night. They'd refer to it as a side. Is there a side of Morris in the garden? And what they used to defecate in the garden. So you've got the whole kind of Rottingdean... He's basically... Copper family. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> I wish everyone you could see... It's 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 so actually, so I went back to my parents a couple of weeks ago and there, my yeah, mum's old friend Jerry was there. Jerry, Jerry was there and I was like, oh, hi, Jerry, how are you? I haven't seen you for 30 years. And he, he was, in fact, the guy that started the folk night in Rottingdean at the Copper family. <gasps> and he, and he, said, he said there was a night there where... Um, oh, I, can't, I can't remember. Anyway, there's about four of them there. McCarthy's, the Waterstones. Yeah. Waterstones. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, that all in one place in this little. It's not Waterstones. An opportunity for you to. It's a different film. Yeah. Performed an act of. of I have uh, to say, musical terrorism. Writing the ballad of Matthew Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> a disgruntled man passes through the folk scene of Sussex in the 1970s. But did you did you did you God. consciously um, grow up defining your musical tastes against all that stuff? Then? I don't think it was as simple as that. It was just it was just always oh, around. Always it, was my, it was my parents' music. My dad played the concertina. Yeah. My mum ran the local folk club, singers and players. She was very much a purist, so she only ever. She only ever sung. She didn't like accompanied folk music. And in fact, when in the nineties, so I started going to. Where did she stand on the uh, Dylan is Jesus? <laughs> that was uh, yeah. She was, that was like uh, she wouldn't understand that at all. She wouldn't understand Dylan. Uh, in fact, in the nineties, so I started recording in this um, Interflow studio. Started doing like sort of house music in this recording studio in Brighton that Chris Hampshire did, and they were it was very druggy music. Chris Hampshire, very kind of hard, druggy music, early 90s. But my mum was getting old, so I thought, I'm going to record her before she, uh, you know, before she dies. And so I took her to Chris Hampshire's studio, <laughs> and I got Chris to record her, and she sang, like, 20 songs, just like that, kind of remembered all the oh, words straight wow. away. Amazing. Um, and then you put an eight-hour Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew White's yeah. techno on the train yeah. on the way home. Yeah, I totally, uh, totally screwed around. It, it, I'm not kidding. That's what, it's brilliant. It's my favourite thing. On the train, that's the, that's the really nice detail. You might, is it just because you get completely absorbed in it and you don't have to... Someone complained last week. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't wait for you your... about the noise. You play it out loud, do you? No, I don't, but it was like... Uh, it was on the headphones, but they literally... Someone was... It's really embarrassing. Matthew, I can't wait for your kids to rebel by playing the mandolin. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what will happen. <laughs> It'll yeah, skip a generation. If I had a, had, a ba- I had a thing on the train last week where a woman looked over what I was doing, she's like, oh, are you using Reason? Which is like the software program I use. And I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, do you use it? And she's like, my, she's in her 40s. She's like, and no, my son does. He's 16. Always with dignity. Yeah. <laughs> this is convivial already. It's brilliant. That's brilliant. Oh. Concertina. Yeah, that was cool. That's going, that's how can spiral, how can we spiral out of, out of <laughs> allergy to folk music into... into uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of music in the movie sounds. What were those brilliant? They would still, it still makes me laugh a lot, the, the Vic and the Bob. Uh, Mulligan and Doe. Yeah. <laughs> of course you remember. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> right. Hello and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. Once more, we're gathered around the table in the Unbound offices, the slightly echoey uh, Unbound offices, and apologies if you uh, find the sound... Uh, difficult. We're working on it with books and blankets. Uh, Unbound, of course, are the publishing website that bring authors and readers together to make great books. And I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher at Unbound. Uh, and I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously. And joining us today is writer and journalist Lloyd Shepherd. Hello, Lloyd. Hello, hello. Lloyd <laughs> works in the genre-straddling field of historical stroke crime stroke supernatural fiction. I do, yeah. That's quite good. Can I use that? I just, uh, just occurred to Can me. I use that? <laughs> you can. And his fourth book, featuring the adventures of 19th century London River policeman Charles Horton, the detective and the devil, was published earlier this year. Mm-hmm. The book that Lloyd has chosen to talk about this week, or backlisted, is The Riddle of the Sands by Erskine Childers, first published in 1903. 
as well as being regarded by many as the first spy novel, it's also the basis of an unbound project. I have to declare an interest here <laughs> that uh, Lloyd and his co-conspirator Tim Wright are currently seeking pledges for on our website. More of that anon, I'm sure. Before, before we start, Lloyd, could you just tell our, our listener... What, uh, <laughs> what, uh, Hello, Tim. <laughs> what have you brought with you to enhance the experience of discussing uh, Riddle of the Sands? Well, we, Tim and I have been talking about Riddle of the Sands on our own podcast for the last year, and one of the things we talk a lot about is, is booze and, and food. Uh, and one of the things I brought is Dawncott, which is a uh, uh, it's a Frisian gin. It's made, oh, made, in, made in Norden, which is a town in, just uh, on the mainland off the East Region it's Islands. It's on the Northern Line, isn't it? It's on, the, it's, on the, it's on the Northern Line. Norden features in the book. It features it? a lot in the book, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, this, is, this is made in, in Norden, in East Frisia. And you're supposed you, to drink it either neat or with... Uh, I've also brought some bitters. So would you care to? I, I feel that we should immediately set about the business. Should we, should we, should we try some? So, so let's let's. Um, so I put, so there's only three glasses and there's five people in the room. Well, I'm driving. Well, Matthew's already on the rosé. Matthew's already on the rosé. Non-folk approved rosé wine. <laughs> Not really. Okay, uh, that's probably rather large. I should, we should also say that amongst the many skills of Matt, our producer, is he's a he's a notable bread baker. And what we have in front of us is Matt. Can you just? It's uh, sweet rye bread with um, cardamom and honey in. Just it's and it's very very crispy on the outside and very very chewy on the inside. On purpose. Um, <laughs> we're obviously we're looking to fill the slot that the BBC <laughs> recipes uh, <laughs> website is going to um, is going to leave behind. So as well as talking about books on future backlisted, we'll also be uh, a, a narrative of food that you could eat alongside them. Cheers! 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 Oh, cheers! cheers. Uh, it's going to be horrible. Now, this sort of this is going to be an audio prompt. Now, now raise your gin at home. Uh, so before I wow. put a piece of that, to <laughs> gosh, hey, <laughs> good. This could all go a lot better than next. My goodness. <laughs> so before I stick a piece of this very chewy bread into my mouth, John, what have you been reading this week? Uh, I've been reading a, a very, very, very delicious book called Six. Facets of Light by Anne Rowe, published by Jonathan Cape. And I have to say, it's as handsome a book as I've seen in a long time. Um, Why do people always use the word handsome I just, to describe books? I don't know. It just it falls so neatly. If you notice that, you look on Twitter, people are always saying, handsome what, a handsome, bound. what a handsome cover. Handsome volume. Handsome yeah. volume. Uh, that may be... It's a booky word, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, because maybe because sort of, you know, curvaceous just doesn't seem <laughs> right. Well, I've seen you... sexy. People talk about sexy covers. Yeah. No, no one ever talks about a pretty book. It's just, know. it's, anyway, it's, it's very, really lovely paper, no show through, beautiful colour illustrations. You and that's Anne Rowe. Anne Rowe, yeah, who is, um, she is senior editor of The Economist. She's the obituaries editor and of The, the Economist. And the obituaries editor, yes, that's right. And she's also, she was shortlisted for the Samuel Johnson Prize for her biography of... Pontius Pilate. Mm. So I was slightly trepidatious because I know that she, she writes, I mean, she's a very intelligent writer on, on Christian themes. But actually what this is, is a kind of, it's an attempt really to, to look at light, not as a scientist. Light being the great paradoxical substance, you know, both wave and particle. It's invisible, but, you know, without it we couldn't see anything. So, but it's an attempt to, to explore in, through painters, poets uh, um, and philosophers what light is, and it's based really around her walking along the um, East Sussex coast, I mean, particularly between Eastbourne and Brighton. Mm. And it's, 
it kind of that sounds very vague and rambling, and in a way, the book is a little bit like that. Yeah. But it's saved by the fact that she writes exquisitely well, and it's also it's such a brilliant theme. You think about it every. She writes obviously about how light hits grass, how light hits trees, how light hits spider webs. She talks so it's a, in one on one level, it's an amazingly detailed kind of the new natural history. It fits neatly into that mm-hmm. category, but it also allows her to talk about you know, religious experience about... I mean, there is some physics in the book. There's just a lot of... There's a lot of mythology in the book. There are notebooks of painters. There's some wonderful stuff. Uh, the, the themes, that the painters that come around again and again, Eric Revilius, um, yes, Revilius. Uh, Samuel Palmer... Um, did, you go to, did you go to the Revilius uh, exhibition that was down in Dulwich? I did. Last year. Wasn't that great? Yeah, I mean, really good. It's one of those sort of artists who gets seems to get more relevant and better as as time. I I don't quite know why. There's something about that flatness Mm -hmm. and the the quality, the colour. So I just, I completely. It was very. It's it's just love. It was a lovely reading experience. Very John Mitchinson. It is very, isn't it? (laughs) You've covered stone and rain, and now you've moved to light. (laughs) Light. I'm so sorry. I might. Can I read you just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gives you an idea of just how well written it is and how interesting. I just think it's it. I, it, you know, sometimes it would be very easy for you to turn around at a book like this and say, yeah, it's all right. But actually, she really delivers. She really, I mean, I, yeah. it's, it's, it's made me want to go back. Thomas Traherne, mm-hmm. I sort of, you know, glancing knowledge of a lot of poets, mm-hmm. but you realise that the great theme of poetry, Dante, the great theme of poetry, particularly any kind of transcendent sort of, uh, is, is, is light, the big, that's the thing. Is it a metaphor? Is it a metaphor? <laughs> What's a metaphor? It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, here we go. Even daylight may be a distraction. It commands the stage so busily and glaringly that nothing prevails against it. Take away light and the unseen garden lilac suddenly drowns the world in scent and the invisible sea breathes and purrs as loudly as a great cat stretching and human instincts are sharpened like a reptile's, the whole skin alert to possible contacts in the dark with the unknown and the, and the unimagined. But then light returns, doodling and dancing. Its artfulness is flame-like, and it was in this form that Revilius most enjoyed it. Fireworks, bonfires, wind-blown beams from lighthouses or cars, patches of bracken ablaze on a hillside, even the simple, friendly flare of a match. I wish I had seen it, was his reaction to any outbreak he missed. Have you looked up Lambent yet? He eagerly asked his lover, Diana Tuley, in 1939. Perhaps haven't described her glowing skin that way. Here it is, a flame or light, playing on surface without burning it, with soft radiance of eyes, sky, etc. Radiant, of wit, gently brilliant. Hence, lambency, lambently. Latin, lambere, to lick. There you are. Mm. Very good. It's nice. Is, uh, mm. is, um, does she, I think I asked you, does she write about... Um, Margate, does she write about no, she, my bit she's well? very, very, very particularly written about the, the, her, her, ma- her passion, yeah. her manner. And it's, again, there's nice little bits of uh, sort of autobiography about, you know, having her for a, a, a notebook when she's younger that's open and writing things in it. And there are bits of her notebooks threaded through it. Like I say, it's one of those books that if she wasn't as good a writer as she is and as interesting a writer as she is, it, it might just feel self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you, you know, I think it was... Einstein says somewhere in the book, you know, no rascal has any idea what light is. You know, it's, we've pondered it. It's one of the great mysteries mm. of the universe. We probably never know. It's a sort of it's the, the, the paradox. I have to say, we can't. We should put this up somewhere 
That is a terrific cover. It's, 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 it's terrific, but the book itself, feel it's to the heft and that. It's just really yeah, yeah, yeah. well done, Jonathan Cape, for, yeah, still, well making, Cape. for still making books that, the, that So the, the patch that she writes about is my patch, mm-hmm. which I moved to a few years ago. Which and you're going to take this home. I'm going to take this home and read it. I'm looking forward to it. I think that the points she makes are pretty, you know, I think it's not going to interfere with your enjoyment. But there's a particularly, she's particularly good on chalk. There's a wonderful bit where she says that rabbits digging in the chalk, it's like they're kicking up light. I mean, it's just because mm-hmm. that, 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 that landscape is so reflective mm-hmm. and that, you know, the combination of the, of, of the white of the land and the, and the blue of the sky and the blue of the sea. But um, I, I think she, she's, she's got, I mean, she's really good. It's rare to get someone who writes as well about painting as they do about, uh, about, about literature, but she manages it. And it's such a, like I say, it's such a neat way of tying these experiences together. I really want to read it. Sounds yeah. fantastic. Thanks, John. That went really well with my bread. The <laughs> <laughs> bread was mad. Mm. And now, it's Andy, uh, with more gin, uh, <laughs> what have you been reading? Okay, or so watching? I'll keep the reading bit relatively brief because there's something else I want to talk about. I did a, a, a Q&A last week with the author Joanne Harris, who wrote Chocolat and 14 or 15 other novels. Mm-hmm. And she's great. If you ever get the chance to go and see Joanne talk, she's wonderful, really inspiring person. And one of the best writers on Twitter, the way she does her yeah. stories on Twitter, I think. Of and really good. Yeah. Well, I, I asked her about Twitter. She's great. She's really unrepentantly positive about Twitter. Which is mm. nice, isn't she it? She doesn't go, oh, trolls. Oh, I used to oh, love it. I used to love it. No. no, she's great. She's very uh, positive and very um, What did Steve Clark Once she used to sneak off for a midnight skinny dip. Now it's a public swimming pool that other people have pissed in. Well, <laughs> so I was talking to Joanne about her new novel, which is called Different Class. Uh, it's the third novel set in Maltby, the town of Maltby, and it's set in a school. Uh, it bounces backwards and forwards between two narrative voices. It's terrific, but I really recommend it. It is, it's really good. Uh, the thing about Joanne, which we talked about, and which is really interesting, is I once went to an event, a Clive James uh, thing, where he was talking to publishers and booksellers, and he chided booksellers and said, the problem with you lot is you don't just have a Clive James section in your shops. (laughs) 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 His point being that... He was a difficult writer to categorise, and if people like his stuff, no, I think the point of being was that he really wants to climb. And that, Matt, yes. Um, but Joanne is a really hard writer. Joanne Harris is a really difficult writer to categorise, isn't she, Lloyd? I don't I, like. She never. She writes like, books set in um, France around. Well, the last three books have been and, uh, a follow-up to Chocolat. Yeah, pictures from Monsieur Curé, <laughs> the Gospel of Loki. Yeah, Based on which the Norse is, myths, which yeah. just came out of. I mean, I know she's written uh, the the Rune novels, which are, yeah. and then Different Class, which is a complete a, and, so and I, yeah. But I can sympathise with that. I mean, my first three books when I went to Waterstones Piccadilly once, my first three books were in three different sections of Waterstones. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> genre straddling. I mean, for you. Well, you know, <laughs> without this wanting to sound like a kind of cheap uh, advert. Uh, but it is one of the reasons that we wanted to do Unbound. This classification thing mm. is, um, to me, is a massive tail, you know, tiny tail wag- wagging a very large dog because it, it, you want writers. The whole point about writers, surely, is you want them to do different things. Yeah. But, don't, but don't you also think the readers ex- there's, a, there's a reader expectation? So I've, I've, you know, I've had complaints from 
historical fiction fans that go, what's this weird stuff doing there? I've had complaints from weird fiction fans going, what's this historical stuff doing but, there? There is an expectation for people to book that some people want well, me, I, I, Jonathan, Jonathan Meads, what, a great line of Jonathan Meads, which I um, want to quote, is that any, anything really good creates its own genre. Yeah. Um, well, jo- I said to Joanne, you know, do you ever give, you know, do you ever give, does it ever give you pause for thought that you ought not to dart around so much? You know, what is it do you feel that ties all your books together, given that they are disparate in their subjects? And she just said, it's me. Yeah. And if people want to read me, they'll find me. And that she's got you know, an amazing gift for narrative, which yes, is great. She's yes, a really so, good yeah. story. Yeah. Amazing gift for voice. I mean, yeah. the, voices are the, the voice of the classics teacher in the new book, Different Classes, really reminded me of my latter teacher from school. Yeah. It is really strong. So, anyway, so I was reading that. But I was reading it in between a more important development in my life and the life of my family, which is <laughs> that my son recently turned 13. And as a mark of his entry into teenagedom, <laughs> we bought him a Bot PlayStation Gin. 4. Oh. Okay, so well, we have a PlayStation 4 in the house. Isn't it cool? He has started, oh, he's, so he started playing all the games, right? He's playing Last of Us. He's playing Destiny. He's shooting everything, right? His dad, meanwhile, is also spending hours on the PlayStation watching old arena Me. documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, BBC, on the household. On YouTube, the modern household. But I've been watching, I've watched a series of the arena documentaries that Nigel Williams, usually Nigel Williams, made for BBC Two in the early 80s. Produced. A five-part series on George Orwell. Yeah. Yeah. An incredible film called A Genius Like Us about Joe Orton, Joe Orton, who lived a minute to walk from where we are now. Uh, A fantastic film about Graham Greene, wonderful film with Powell and Pressburger when they were both still alive. And you know what makes these films great? Two things. They are made by people who love and have brilliant working knowledge of the material in question. But also, and the Orton one, I commend everyone, please go and watch this film. Firstly, because it was made not even 15 years after Orton had died. So it is full of people who knew Orton. But the great thing, the thing that makes these films so great, is they let people talk. It's amazing. There are long, three, four-minute, uninterrupted sections with Leone, Orton's sister, with Charles Monteith, who who nearly published uh, Orton but didn't. Uh, there's a brilliant bit with the librarian who caught Orton <laughs> and Halliwell in Islington Library, Super. defacing Lord Library books, where he describes and reads out some of the jacket copy from the books. It's well, one of the single funniest things I've ever seen, and he knows it's funny, and he's being allowed to have his, have his moment. Um, I just, I know, I know one is inclined to say, oh, things aren't as good as they used to be, and I, think you I can don't say know where this exists think, now. I think you, you know. can say it. I, John, had, what, was the, what was the thing that you read out to me last week that Hugh uh, Weldon said? It, it was yeah, a wonderful piece about public service broadcasting. We just published Wynne Weldon's uh, really lovely book about his dad, Hugh Weldon, who, amongst other things, he was never director general, but he, he set up Monitor, which was the, oh, the, the, film, yeah, yeah, yeah. the film unit that went the, out of which Arena grew. But it was just what struck us. I mean, the party for the book was amazing because David Attenborough came and, you know, yeah. um, uh, Humphrey Burton came and Melvin came and all the sort of BBC grandies. But you suddenly felt that, that sense that 
they were trying to do something that I don't think even... It, it's not even on the agenda anymore. They were, they were doing things because they thought they were important to do and that they were providing a record of something. Yeah. And that you, they, well, I think the quote yes. was something along the lines, you didn't even, you didn't, even if you had an idea, an idea wasn't enough. It was only became good television if you worked hard and you, did, you, know, you made something that was... You know, whereas now it's all about... It was if you followed I, your interest and you were yeah. true to your interest. It's all now about ideas. Um, well, that's, a, that's good. We should do more visual, uh, visual things. I, I like that. Uh, but the, I miss making a virtue. I would, I would, I would like to... Can I just say, is it all YouTube, they're all YouTube, the, 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 the um, arena films. They are, although you can also buy stuff from now from the BBC shop as well. Are you saying you've not had access to YouTube before you got a PS4? I, I've not had to the access to the uh, to the pleasure of watching Sitting in YouTube the, the glass of white on the telly on yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. laptop. No Apple TV. For Apple you, TV then. is your friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what the connection is between the book that we're about to talk about? Is that I spent ages trying to find the film of the Riddle of the Sands on Amazon Prime. What, what was Michael York? It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah. 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 Is the whole thing, yeah. I, I watched that this week. <laughs> I think we'll come on to it in due course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about books enough. Now for some capitalism. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Lloyd. Lloyd, yes. Yes. Riddle of the Sands. Riddle of the Sands. Tell us why you wanted to talk about Riddle of the Sands on a backlisted. Well, Riddle of the Sands, I read Riddle of the Sands at school, as I'm sure um, a, certain, a certain number of people of a certain generation who were educated in a certain type of establishment would have done. Um, and I'd forgotten all about it. And um, uh, my friend Tim Wright, uh, who is a very clever um, digital writer, writes uh, stuff for online, also writes BBC uh, Radio 4 Plays. Uh, a couple of, a few years ago, he did um, he did a thing called taking a book for a walk. He took kidnapped for a walk from the Western Isles to Stirling, uh, in the same time frame as the book, and being in the same location. The same. And he said to me, I, "I want to do the same thing with Riddle of the Sands, because as anyone who's listened to our podcast about Riddle of the Sands will know, it's curiously specific 
about dates and locations. Um, and so, so the idea was that we would we would take this book and we would, you know we'd take it for a walk. Um, so I had to go and reread it. And uh, so I reread it, I suppose, two years ago. Mm. Uh, and I just thought it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I just, I'd forgotten how, you know, I, was, I read it at the same time I was reading Alistair MacLean and Sven Hassel, you know, it was, it was in that kind of world. But as a book, I thought it was just staggeringly good. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so, so we'd, we'd, we'd been doing this podcast about the book, going through each day and drinking lots of things and talking about it. And we went to the Kiel Canal last year to do a couple of days on the Kiel Canal to sort of you know, reenact it. Um, and we've got an unbound project, as, yeah. as John alluded to, to try and put a new edition of the book out with us basically taking it out for a walk and finding out what these places are like and going on a few sort of outings. Well, covered kind of, you know, the, yeah. you know, the, yeah, out, yeah. the outdoor edition. Well, one of the things you find when you put this out there is obviously this book is huge with yachties, right? It's absolutely <laughs> huge with the sailing concern. There's a reason for that. If, yeah. you've, if you've got a boat, you have probably read Rule of the Sands. If you go, if you, if you put top ten sailing books into into Google for sure it's at the number one and, why, and why is that why is it so popular well because there's a lot of sailing yeah, <laughs> we should say Johnny I mean you know, there's we, a massive amount massive of amount of sailing, in, sailing it, yeah. in it and if you're not a sailor I'd say it's, it's a, it is a challenge to, to, to follow some of the um, some of the, the I mean it, I actually found it quite strangely comforting in a way that I didn't really understand what the fuck was going on <laughs> uh, sorry <man>. well, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> Allow me that, but it, it is very, very, very um, salt kind of imbued. I mean, it is, you know, I can I'm absolutely, I think the things that I loved about the book that, that had not having read it before, I sort of pretended to read it like you do, <laughs> had a vague notion of what it was, and I have a vague memory of Michael York in the film. Yeah, and also we'll come on to Erskine Children's in a moment. Yeah, it's yeah. A pretty extraordinary, extraordinary story, human, yeah. human being in the story, but I just I hadn't read it so. Sort of knuckling down to read it was a, I mean, you know, and I'm a big Arthur Ransom fan. I used to mm. love those books. It, it reminded me a, a little bit of a kind of grown-up version of We Didn't Mean to Go to Sea, which is one of my favourites of those. Yeah. But it is, it is quite complicated, and the plot. There's a very particular love of, I mean, what I would I would perceive as quite male as well. Mm. Uh, detail love of gadgetry and detail. Yeah. Right, that the first hundred pages are largely spent lovingly um, describing types of spinnacle, uh, whatever that. I don't even know what a spinnacle is. What is a spinnacle? There's no such thing as a spinnacle. A you, just made that, you just made that word up. <laughs> but I have to say, for, for, the part, for the part of me that, because um, we've just moved to these offices and we're on the canal, I've got a serious boat lust at the moment. Yeah, so I, yeah. I dawdle along the canal on the way home, and I, I kind of look fondly at the little stoves and the, and the engines, and the, mm. and actually, so this sort of hit me in a quite quite good yeah. moment, receive mode. I've gazed for hours at the into the the windows of Arthur Beale's Chandlery. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we at we, the we, we of Neil we, Street. We've had a lot of we've done events at Arthur Beale's as, as a result. Oh, of this I know, and it's, it's the, and. I suppose the, only, the, 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 the thing is that the book is... That there, are, there are things that are really remarkable about it. I don't think anybody had done this kind of well, clever yeah, frame. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should talk a let's little bit about let's that. Let's hang on to that for a moment, because I want to ask Lloyd about that. Shall I just do the, the now traditional... Blurby blurb. Blurby blurb. We've got two... We seem to have two different editions of Riddle of the Sands. I've got the vintage classics edition. Right, I'll give you mine first. OK. OK. So there's a, t- there's a pull quote... <laughs> the first real thriller, K. 
Ken Follett. <laughs> not bad. It's quite That's not bad. Those kids would have been happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> While on a duck hunting holiday. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Come on, everyone. It's already terrible. While on a duck hunting holiday sailing in the Frisian Isles, Carruthers and his friend Davis, which are you, Lloyd? Yeah, I am not Davis, so I'm Davis. You're Davis. On the podcast, yeah. Yeah, I'm you're Davis. Davis. You are... Simon McCorkindale. I'm Simon McCorkindale. Carruthers and his friend Davis become suspicious of German naval activity off the North Sea coast. It's terrible. It's the pair bad. decide to investigate and are soon embroiled in a world of suspense and intrigue as they set about foiling nothing less than a plot to invade England. Initially published in 1903, the Riddle of the Sands proved a prescient vision of the Anglo-German conflict that was to culminate in the First World War. This thrilling adventure is now regarded as the first... And one of the best spy novels ever written, okay. inspiring later masters of the genre from John Buchan to John Le Carre. Okay, so I do vintage classics. Yeah, go on, we go. There's also... Careful, there's a plot, there's a plot spoiler in the vintage classics. Oh. <coughs> Ooh. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> um, yeah, spoiler alert. Paul <laughs> uh, quote, a ripping yarn, it's just so exciting, Ben McIntyre. When Carruthers receives a letter from his friend Davis suggesting a Baltic sailing trip... The vision of a manned yacht, A1 scenery and excellent duck shooting quickly works its charm. But Carruthers' hopes for a holiday are quickly dashed. There has been suspicious activity along the coast. The Medusa, manned by the sinister Dolman, has already tried to destroy Davis. What are the Germans up to? Nothing less than a plot to invade Britain. say that. And only these two courageous Englishmen can stop them. Published in 1903, The Riddle of the Sands is considered the first modern spy novel. Um, and then it says underneath, see also The 39 Steps. Well, can, I, can, I, can I read what John Buchan said about it? Yes! It's yes. yes. better than either of those. Yeah. John Buchan, I think they are the most truly realised of any adventure story that I have met, and the atmosphere of grey northern skies and miles of yeasty water and oh, wet sands... Is as masterfully reproduced as in any story of Conrad's. Oh, that's so. I'm putting that out there as a much better plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel the. I, I have to say, I'm I sensing you didn't like it. Very well, much. I think the sighting of ripping yarns in that blurb. <laughs> See, I, I, we just did, as, as you may be aware, we just did a couple mm. of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, 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 Bert Feg's nasty book for boys and girls by Michael Palin and Terry Jones, which contains the original. Uh, idea of Across the Andes by Frog, subsequently made into Ripping Yarns. Mm. And I, I, I'm not sure I have ever read one of the texts that Palin and Jones are clearly spoofing sure, in Ripping sure. Yarns. Yeah, yeah. So it took me a little while to settle into the book because it seemed like a tremendously good setup to a punchline <laughs> that never came. Um, um, but I did, I did like it. I, I, I struggled a bit, as, as John did, with the opening section. Yeah. Although I loved the... It starts in a brilliant way, this book, with a kind of... That great tradition of the languid hero yeah, who's yeah, yeah, seen yeah, yeah. everything and done everything and is rather jaded. The truth is, I was bored. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. A bit of club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lloyd, is that... Is that True then that the it, this is the first spy novel as we would understand. Well, no, not no, I, mean, I mean not really. Kim was published a few years before. Kim, um, um, I mean, I think the thing about this book that you 
Well, first of all, it's like I suppose it's like reading anything that was. This book was an enormous success when it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It sold two million copies. Right. It's never been out of print in, in, in Britain. Uh, Churchill arranged for it to be delivered to every ship in the navy um, at wow. the beginning of the First World War, uh, which is ironic given what came later. We'll come to that. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, yes, it was it was of huge significance. Uh, but the, and the other, but the other interesting thing is that is that Childers never wanted it to be called a novel. He was violently opposed to it being called, being called a novel. And he didn't want to be called the author. He wanted it to be called the editor. So the whole thing was, so this, is a found, this is a found yeah, yeah, yeah. text. So his, the whole, the whole shtick really was, the was that, the, 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 that these guys had actually existed. And, and even today, you can read stuff in the sailing fraternity where people clearly think this stuff sort of actually happened. And I think a lot of the, the difficulty, perhaps, with the, the sailing stuff is Childers himself sailed this route in 1897. Um, on his own boat. So it's all very vivid in his mind. He's describing what actually happened. Yeah. And obviously, it's all stuff that you know, he was really interested in. But it, you know, Britain at the time was a sailing nation. And we're not theme. anymore. That's right? a huge theme in the book, the yeah. decline of Britain as a sailing nation. Well, the decline of Britain as a, as a little boat's sailing nation. And, you know, well, uh, uh, and of course, with Dunkirk yes, exactly. I, I, yeah. down, the, down the road. But um, that's one of the great... I, I think some of those rants of, of, of Davis in the yeah. book yeah, yeah. about... Well, Davis is clearly chilled, right? Davis is this yes. sort of, you know, uh, uh, yeah. slightly uh, off to the side, disconnected, you know, a little bit, you know, humorless and a little bit sort of, uh, you know, straight back, sort of, but also fiercely patriotic. Well, fiercely everything, you know, fiercely fierce, fiercely in love, fiercely but, patriotic, fiercely, you know. But whilst, and, you know, whilst I did struggle a little bit with some of the, like, trying to figure out... I'm counting the word struggle, so a little, just, tally, a little tally down. I'm just, just, just with the, just the, the, the understanding... The, the sales and what, what the you know I mean I, 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 I have spinnacle is a word spinnacle is a word isn't it no. spinnacle spinnacle is a word and spinnacle is also not in the book no spinnacle is not in the book back you up there yeah but no no the point being is about this, what I'm saying is that didn't really bother me in no. the end because I, yeah. I I thought that was my that was my um, that was you know I, it's the sort of thing if I if if you read it maybe more slowly and carefully, or if you were on a sailing holiday or learning how to sail, you'd probably master it quite quickly. Yeah, so yeah, the, way, the way he does it is Carruthers doesn't know how to sail. Yeah. Right, so Carruthers is learning how to sail in yeah. the first quarter of the book, and that's kind of... So you're learning as you go along. And it's, yeah, sort, yeah, of, yeah, it's yeah. sort of the whole thing. It becomes, actually, after a while, quite mesmerising, and the yeah, sense yeah. of place is really extraordinary. Yeah. That, that, you know, that, but the, the, sort of all that tacking in the dark and the... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... I guess it's just a... a, a I mean, I, I think... The, the thing you say about it being male is, is, is kind of true. I mean, it's two men on a boat, yeah. um, and it's, there's, there's quite a lot of um, technical detail in it. But once you get the beginning of the sense of where the plot is taking you, I mean, yeah. it's quite hard. I mean, the, the, there is a plot, you know, the spoiler is on the back, but it's quite a long way into the book before you've got any bloody idea that it's about a plot. Well, to, I suppose the other, the other thing is... It's would... just the Dolman and the Medusa are kind of sinister. and you, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. The, the, he keeps that plausibility of, yeah. of their alternatives. I... I would also say there's some, there is some absolutely... There is some really lovely writing in the book. I mean, you know, he's very, very good on wind and, and water and the, and the movement of water. And, I mean, I'm going to just read a little... Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of this, and I'm sure you've got bits you want as well, Lloyd, but I just, this, this just fell open on this. Later, as the wind sank to lazy airs, he became busy with a large topsail and jib, but I was content to doze away the afternoon, drenching brain and body, body in the sweet and novel foreign atmosphere and dreamily watching the fringe of glen, cliff and cool white sand 
as they passed ever more slowly by. Mm. It's very good of that. Yeah. And the whole thing of Carruthers arriving and not feeling, you know, ghastly, the whole thing, is just, he can't believe he's got, got a portmanteau that's far too big for yeah. the boat. And, and there's some really good comments about that. This, this, this fop showing yeah, up. Yeah, shall we go and stay in a hotel? Oh, I don't really like going on. Yeah, where are, you, where are, your, are your men arriving? There are no <laughs> men arriving. <laughs> it's like the worst. Yeah. You're sort of beginning the worst. And then gradually, the kind of, the boat is quite small and pokey and difficult. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff about what it's like sleeping in. In, yeah, a, yeah. In, a, in a bunk um, but I think you're right Lloyd I think that's clearly deliberate isn't it there's a clear attempt to take the reader by the hand and say I'll put them in a boat yeah put them in a boat and say, there's a very funny bit can I, can I read that? I'm not going to read the bit I was going to read because the bit I was going to read is, is, is more in line with us but uh, there's a funny bit about Carruthers arriving and he goes, down, he goes down into the boat and bangs his head and bangs his chins and all this kind of stuff. Um, you see, were Davis's reassuring words, there's plenty of room to sit upright, <laughs> which was strictly true, but I'm not very tall and he is short. Some people make a point of headroom, but I never mind much about it. That's the centreboard case, he explained, as, in stretching my legs out, my knee came into contact with a sharp edge. I had not seen this devilish construction <laughs> as, it, as it was hidden beneath the table, which indeed rested on it at one end. It appeared to be a long, low triangle running lengthways with the boat and dividing the naturally limited space into two. You see, she's a flat-bottomed boat, drawing very little water without the plate. That's why there's so little headroom. For deep water, the lower the plate. So in one way or another, you can go practically anywhere. I was not nautical enough to draw any de- definite conclusions from this. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did draw were not promising. There's a lot of that yeah, stuff when Carruthers... Lovely, Carruthers lovely. But also when Carruthers oh. gets into the sailing, yeah. there is some oh, it's really lovely bits with him kind of going, OK, I'm beginning to understand why yeah. people are into this now. And so, you know, I, I think that's, that's rather... There's, there's lots of really good stuff. But I do think this thing about it not being a novel, right? The thing about... Uh, the, the, the so thing that's, about, that's what I wanted to say. It's the yeah. frame, I think, I yeah. can't think of a novel that, that has this completely realised frame that this was found papers and I'm the editor, yeah. and it, which he sort of says in the which preface. Which is EC. That, I think, EC. Which has obviously been used many times since. But, but like, was it, um, sorry, when it, when it was published then? It was published in, uh, so it was published in 1903 uh, I'm just finding the, uh, and, uh, but it was, it was called The Rid of the Sand, A Record of Secret Service Recently Achieved. Yeah. And what was the author like? Edited by Erskine Childers. What was the, what was the author like? What was Erskine like? Well, I've got 11 pages that I can go through. I, if, uh, Matthew, if I give you the title of some of Erskine's other books, this was the only novel that he wrote and he it's didn't only, want it to be seen as only a novel. Only novel he wrote. And he, his other books include War and the Arme Blanche, German Influence on British Cavalry, The Framework for Home Rule. Yeah. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a serious... Mofo. So he was born 1870, born to an English father and an Irish mother. That will become important um, in Mayfair. And um, uh, his father died when he was eight years old. Uh, and, his, and there was some strange family business involved. His mother going to a sanatorium, and he was he was basically adopted by his Irish aunt and uncle and went to live in Ireland. Um, then sent to school in England, aged 11 or whatever, and educated in England. Different times. Um, and the uh, the Irish family were members of the Ascendancy, so the Protestant Irish Ascendancy, who'd basically been running the place for 700 years. Um, uh, so he, he goes to private school, goes to Trinity, uh, then goes into the civil service, becomes a House of Commons clerk in about 1890-whatever. Gets into sailing, 18, mid-1890s, buys a boat, goes sailing, uh, then goes joins up for the Boer War, 
uh, and then um, comes back and writes The Root of the Sands. And the point of The Root of the Sands was it fell into this category of invasion literature. And is it his first the, book? Then? It's his first book. Um, well, no, sorry, he wrote a book of... Uh, his letters from the Boer War were, were published right. um, before then. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I can't remember the title of the book, is, but it's Letters from the Boer War. Um, and so there's a whole category of books about the in, invasion, growing threat of Germany, um, including the magnificently named The Battle for Dorking, which, is, uh, <laughs> which came out in 1871. Um, but there's a whole range of books about Britain right. being, being invaded. So he puts it up, and this is by far the most influential. Uh, and actually causes the Admiralty to go, oh, hang on, we need to, we need to build some more yes. There's a little bit at the end of the vintage edition, or I think it was, yeah. the, 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 where they did make some changes. They did make some changes. They, 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 I mean, it was uh, the beginning of the... The, 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 the dreadnought arms race and, you know, building more and more dreadnoughts. So the book comes out, she's successful, makes his name. Um, he marries uh, a Bostonian woman um, and, you know, works as a clerk, but then gets him increasingly interested in the Irish question. Um, uh, we will begin to tread carefully as, as we go through this, but he gets increasingly into the Irish question uh, for Irish home rule. Um, his wife is quite a Republican, you know, she's American and she thinks that the British Empire is probably not the greatest thing and since sliced bread as, as Erskine had thought it was. Um, gets more and more interested in home rule um, and fights in the First World War, has, has a real ripping yarns First World War actually, you know, flying planes and navigating and actually Churchill Having a, being a big fan of Riddle of the Sands, Churchill had proposed an invasion of the East Frisian Islands based on Riddle of the Sands, um, uh, which, was, which was abandoned and replaced with an invasion of Gallipoli. So, and then wow. and, and Childers, and Childers was the navigator for Gallipoli. Was and up it's in worth the plane. saying, one of the amazing things about this book is you, with, the, with the charts and the descriptions yeah. in this book, yeah. you could actually invade the East Frisian Islands. Yeah. So that's yeah. the amazing thing. It's, it's, also, it's also worth saying about Childers, and I, you'll know why I say this now, yeah. that... At, in this, you were talking about Churchill. In this period, Churchill described Childers as quote a great patriot, patriot and statesman. Yes, we'll come back to we'll that. We'll come back to that. Um, uh, and so, so, so Childers is right in the centre of this, you know, of, of England and empire and all this kind of stuff. Comes back from the First World War and basically moves to Ireland and basically starts becomes a proponent of Irish Home Rule. Um, goes to the Paris uh, Convention. He's a liberal to begin with, wasn't he? He's moved from liberal. Yeah. Uh, when the liberals sort of messed up home rule or, or compromised it, he became more and more. Um, and then ends up being on the convention in 1922, on the other side of the table from mm-hmm. Churchill, mm-hmm. Austin Chamberlain, Lloyd George, arguing for Irish home rule. That leads to the creation of the Irish Free State in 1922. Childers is violently opposed to the Irish Free State because he thinks it's a compromise. Because it's not actually an independent republic; it's a dominion within the empire. Because of the treaty. Because of the treaty, uh, De Valera, Eamon de la Valera, is also violently opposed to it. The two of them go into hiding, basically, in the Southern Island. Michael Collins, uh, Arthur Griffith, all the Sinn Fein people are in favour of it, and they, they sign the treaty. Um, uh, Arthur Griffiths violently falls out with Erskine Childers because everyone is saying, "Who is this English guy, and why is he talking for Ireland?" Yeah. And then the rumour starts going around that he's actually a spy. He's actually a spy for the for the for the English, um, which I guess uh, Riddle of the Sands might lead you to believe is not, believe, not impossible. Um, and then in 1922, uh, he's in hiding and he's arrested by the Irish Free State been, Army. Has he been gun running? Uh, well, the gun running story is. Se- uh, I'll talk about the gun running story okay. separately. Right, right. But there's an Irish, there's the, the Irish Free State arrest him and uh, he is shot by the Irish Free State oh. in 1922. Firing squad. By but firing they, squad. But they arrest him because. He, but he's carrying a gun that was given to him 
by Michael Collins. Collins yeah. And that's illegal. It's illegal to carry. But it's a pretext for shooting this, this guy. That they, and the reason he's shot is that he's the guy, he is the guy who's saying, you've, you've surrendered to the English. Mm-hmm. You've surrendered to the English. You've, you've messed it up. Ulster's gone its own way. You've messed it up. Why did you do this? Why did you? And he's gone. And he's very. There's, a very, there's a lot of George Orwell about Erskine yeah, Childers because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the very austere kind of you know librarian figure going. You've messed it all up. You messed it all up. So they shoot him. Basically, they kill him. Postscript, 1968. Now 1971. His son, Erskine Childers, Erskine Hamilton Childers, becomes president of the Irish Republic. So it's an amazing life story. He also has. And, and also, there's two other things worth noting. But Churchill, who. I mean, something like five years, it's not much more than no. that, who five years earlier had referred to him as a great patriot and statesman. When the death sentence was passed on Childers, he said the following thing. Churchill said, No man has done more harm or done more genuine malice or endeavoured to bring a greater curse upon the common people of Ireland than this strange being, actuated by a deadly and malignant hatred for the land of his birth. That's quite a swing, isn't it? And also, there's this amazing story, actually, very stirring story about Childers's uh, conduct in front of the firing squad. Do you want to tell us that? He goes goes up to every member of the firing squad and shakes their hand, Mm -hmm. goes back to stand there, and he goes, "Take a step forward, lad. It'll be easier." And so goes through. And his final final words to his wife, right? She she writes just as he's going to that. Now I am going, coming to you, heart's beloved, sweetheart, comrade, wife. I shall fall asleep in your arms, God above blessing us, all four of us, Erskine. It's good stuff. It's, 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 it's boy's own stuff. And it's, it, you know, it's, and, and it's still controversial to this day, his role in Irish independence. You know, this Englishman at the heart of this basically in struggle with England. Well, there does seem to be that, 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 that element in, in the, in, even in the novel mm. of, of him a number of times, he, his, his attraction to the idea of what he calls romance, which is, you know, that getting carried away with the, the sort of the story and the, the transformation of Carruthers, who is a kind of, you know, as you say, languid yeah. sort of um, policy wonky foreign office bod, you know, going to his club yeah, and yeah. smoking cigars and, 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 you know, living a life of pamp- pampered ease. particularly engaged. And then, you know, becoming suddenly, by the end of the novel, he's kind of doing all kinds of heroic yeah. stuff in, in boats and shaving off his yeah. moustache and pretending well, to, a, a and dressing of, in disguise. One of the interesting thing about that stuff is a lot of the stuff that we now take for granted is kind of spy books. It's kind of all there. Yeah. So there's, the, there's the disguise stuff. There's the, yeah. there's yeah. the fantastic dinner party near the end where yes, no one is saying point. quite what they mean it's, that's, and everyone's that everyone's it's, it's a brilliant it's, bit of it's writing it's like a play and yeah. the brilliant bit where he's creeping through the fog to listen yeah. outside that outside the yeah building. all that stuff so, so the second half there's very little sailing in the second half of the book listeners um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's mainly I wouldn't want to put people off I don't think the sailing is a is a is a, is a kind of a, it's not a deal breaker well one of the reasons we were doing I think the podcast, I, like I say it's, it'd be we fun wanted to do we wanted to take it we sort of wanted to take it away from the sailors a little bit because yes. the minute you say oh we're reenacting the riddle of the sands sailing uh, world are on the phone going what boat are you going on <laughs> right. and we're like well we don't Which sail we're, we're staying to, we're sticking on the land <laughs> we're more interested in the you know the culture the drink the food which, the, is, uh, the, which is beautifully uh, yeah. I mean you do have that very strong sense of that very weird that Frisian coast it's, yeah. make, it sort of does make you also, want to go and visit know, it. it is it's funny saying it's the first thriller it, it, one thinks of a thriller now mm. like if I think of a thriller I think a thriller might be Lee Child mm. right and Lee Child 
great though Lee Child is, doesn't hang about. No. Like page three, you're off. Yeah. Right? What I found fascinating about this book is there's a very deliberate, it seemed to me, hang on in there, hang on in there, hang on in there, once we're underway, then we'll really go for it. Well, I think a lot of that is, is actually from the sailing, because if you've ever sailed... Yeah. You do, there slow. is quite a lot of hanging on hanging around. Yeah, waiting You're not for the going very fast. There's a lot, of, a lot of waiting for the wind. There's a lot of waiting for the wind and all that kind of stuff. But also, I, like, I mean, you, you're, you, you're into music from the 60s and 70s, and one of I the am. fascinating things about that is they're making it up, right? They're making up what we now take as being Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is what this book is doing. It's like yeah, yeah. There's a, all the stuff at the beginning in London when he's going out and buying all this stuff. Oh, It's just like Bond visiting Q yeah, and going, yeah. buy this, take that, buy that. And Fleming does it in three pages, and Childers does it in 20. But, you know, the, the, you know we haven't yeah, got the, the same. Yeah. A, it's a sort of, I mean, you know, it's not unfamiliar. I mean, it, it, in, in a way, if you're... Ryder Haggard, which is considerably harder to read <laughs> than, than, uh, than Erskine Childers. Yeah. And uh, even John Buchan, yeah. uh, who, who I kind of, I guess, kind of probably was inspired by this, I'm thinking. Well, they're right, they're right, they're right, they're right at the same, same time. time. Buchan was a very, very big fan of Childers. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, what I liked was the, the idea that you would, you know, A, that there were, the, the, you know, you referred in the text to the maps and charts. I mean, it was, it was an attempt to really. To, to, to realise something that was happening in the real world, mm. you know, there was no, it wasn't just imagination. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the delaying, I think, is because it is a riddle. I mean, it is looking at, 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 yes. a, at trying to figure out what motives are, and, the, and it's boats in the night, and it's kind of, you know, what, who's that coming towards us now? Well, it's it's the girl who you kind of figure that Davis has got the hots for, but it's not never quite clear. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. it's lots of a little bit more than the hots. I mean, yeah. he's, in a, he's in a complete he's state. In a, he's in an absolute <laughs> funk. <laughs> Lloyd, has, has, there, has anybody ever made a musical of? <laughs> no, there's been a film. There has been a film. That's right. And, yeah, with... and let's and we've been talking about the the amazing sophistication of this book and the. The way it plugs into the geopolitical yeah, scene yeah. of the time. Let's just listen to the trailer from the 1979 film. What started as a harmless holiday ended in a desperate struggle for their lives. <laughs> Michael York, Simon McCorkendale in the classic spy thriller. The Riddle of the Sands. Now playing in its six smash week, call the Satori Hotline, 563-6102. So, and is that film... I watched the film this week. I quite enjoyed it. I think, I think, the, film's, I think the film's pretty good. It's Michael York as Carruthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a stunning I, Carruthers. I, I love Michael. And Simon, Simon Corkendale, I think, is a pretty good Davis. A.K.A. You know, AKA Manimal. A Manimal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, Jenny Agatha. Jenny Agatha as Clara Dolman. Oh. Yeah, and, and Mr. Bronson from Grange Mr. Bronson is Michael <laughs> Sheard <laughs> as Burma. As Burma. So, uh, Matthew uh, Clayton, do you have any tenuous links to yeah, this book? Yeah, a, a tenuous link. I've got a tenuous link. And I'm going to ask Andy, I'm going to ask you uh, what the tenuous link is between <laughs> Carruthers yeah. and Phileas Fogg. Ah. Is it David Niven? <laughs> your you your, your nemesis, you David Niven. That yeah. <laughs> uh, is it Move Michael on. York? No, it's not Michael York. It's Bradshaw's 
Bradshaw's Continental. Oh, oh, very good. So Continental is the travel guide, yeah. um, kind of incredible travel guide published by. It is amazing. Um, it's, a, it's a railway timetable. Yeah, but it's railway, kind of railway. It's also got steamers and hotels right. and yeah. everything you need to know. So it features in Phineas Fogg, but it also Bradshaw's also feature in Sherlock Holmes, Count yeah. Dracula, yeah. G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Carroll and Agatha Christie, which is really incredible. But my favourite Bradshaw story is the one that connects Bradshaw's with Michael Portillo. So oh, he's got coming. So wonderfully, I mean, it's a, <laughs> this is a wonderful story. So in 2010, Michael Portillo starts uh, a TV series, Great British Train Journeys, mm-hmm. where he follows the Bradshaw's uh, British guide, uh, you know, around railway journeys of Britain. And in 2012, January 2012, an extraordinary thing happens, which is the facsimile version of the 1863 Bradshaw's book sells 30,000 copies. <laughs> Old House of the Publishers, part of Osprey, and it goes on to sell over 100,000 copies, the facsimile edition of his 19th century train guide, because of my, Michael Portillo's wow. programme. Isn't that insane? Very fantastic. This is what every editor dreams of happening. It's out of copyright. Totally, yeah. It's It's out of copyright. It's got no colour in it. It's no colour. (laughs) We aren't going to have to be paying Bradshaw. There's no author. (laughs) There's no author, and it's totally random. Completely random, out of nowhere. When did Bradshaw... No legal read. Do we know when they stopped making Bradshaws? Well, Bradshaw died in 1853, but they carried on after his death. I've got an 1896... Online, I downloaded off the internet. Right. It's basically like downloading the internet. <laughs> it's it's basically the internet. Victorian internet. 25 gigs. There are over a thousand. That's what I did to the BBC food uh, section the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I've downloaded them all. If anyone needs a copy, <laughs> <laughs> recipe cards, maps, recipe cards, recipe. But I love the Bradshaws is in there. I love the yeah. and it featured so so much in. Uh, in in the literature of the time. But the thing, the funny thing about Bradshaws in this book, because 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 obviously. Childers, when he did his sailing trip, he didn't take a train. He did everything on the water. Yeah. So to research the train bits, there's quite an involved train section, if you remember. He's got to be at a yeah. certain place at a certain time and, and they're going to disguise in the toilet and come out. Yeah. As, you know. um, and actually, he, mu- he, research- he must have researched all that in Bradshaw's. Because right. actually the Times and Bradshaw's are identical to the Times in the book. So you kind of go, well, actually, he's just opened his Bradshaw's in when he was researching the book, just as I do when I've got to go to St Helena or well, a, and, and, and just written, read it out. There's a quote there, isn't there, about um, a man uh, starts going back to and looking through his Bradshaw's in the same way that he will fondle his gun yeah. in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, Lloyd, why Childers only... Yeah. Why didn't Childers not write more novels? Yeah. But actually, I wonder if the question is not that, but why he wrote a novel in the first place. Well, I think because um, the interesting thing about his writing, the, 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 the thing that he was involved in in Ireland, he was, people said that the reason the English government caved uh, in sort of 1920, 1921 to the, to, the, to the Irish was partly Michael Collins' guerrilla warfare, but equally, Erskine Childers' propaganda, because all he was doing all day long, he was running the Irish Bulletin, which was the, the, the Sinn Féin newspaper. He was editing it and, and write, basically writing it all day long. So I think he probably thought that novels were somewhat frivolous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and actually, one of the interesting things about you know, being a writer, and you, you look at the life of Erskine Childers, I mean, this is a man who was violently in the world. Right? He, was, he was trying to change the world. And the thing he tried to change the world with was his writing. So you mentioned his stuff on his pamphlets on the British Army, yes, the cavalry. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, they were hugely influential because he was basically saying, we're about to go to war and we've still got men on horses carrying swords. Do you have any idea how bad this is going to be? Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. And so he was very... That's why Churchill was such a huge fan of his because he was saying... So I think he probably found an outlet for his writing that was to do with changing the world. He probably, you know, you probably couldn't think of another novel that would, that would have the so same effect. His conversion to the cause of Irish nationalism is, is quite, it's quite it's an extreme thing. You can see why people were suspicious, because yeah. it's so extreme. It's so... Well, look at your CV. Mm, spy novel. Mm, OK. <laughs> you know what? It's, thanks for choosing this, Lloyd. I learned so much. <laughs> and not just about spinnacles, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much about... I think I thought Riddle of the Sands was some kind of Egyptian thing. No, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I learned a lot about the novel. But actually learning about Childers. Yeah, Riddle of the Sands. Childers, Childers, Childers is surprisingly surprising he's not better known, I think, in England particularly. Well, I almost thought it was almost surprising. Presumably the book was already so successful that it couldn't then be suppressed after it had been... after he'd been shot as for some, for some kind of there's treachery. A, there's a lovely but, moment when they're negotiating in London in, and, he, and he's basically been kicked out of the room because the Irish are so sick of him being so sort of intransigent. And there's a bit in his, sort of, in his letters back to, to Molly, his wife, where he says, spent the time discussing the Riddle of the Sands with the guy, you know, with the man outside... Yeah, he was a, he was a big fan. So you know this stuff. He's got Lloyd George, Winston Churchill in the room with Austin Chamberlain and you know and Arthur Griffith and Michael Collins yeah. are in there, and he's chatting about it. And what he's known for is the Riddle of the Sands. That's 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 that is that is. And it is also about German militarism. Was another thing. It's, mm. it's it, he's it's quite prescient about the the, the the you know the fact that the Germans are and quite admiring of the sort of the organisation. Well, the, the, the hard thing to read in the book, I think, you know, is is the imperial side of it. Yeah. The idea that actually empire is great and yeah. Germany Germany needs an empire as much as England does, and yeah. you know, why would they not have one? They deserve one. And so, you know, that that kind of thing is politically quite hard for us to read now. Yeah. Um, but it was per- you know, absolutely standard liberal policy in, yeah. in, uh, mm-hmm. in 1903. I think that's probably as good a point as any to stop. Thank you to Lloyd Shepherd, to Matthew, uh, of course, as always, to producer Matt Hall, and once again, thanks to Unbound. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at BatlistedPod, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash BatlistedPod, and on our page at the Unbound website, which is unbound.co.uk forward slash Backlisted. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again in a fortnight. If you prefer to listen to Backlisted without adverts, you can sign up to our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash Backlisted. As well as getting the show early, you get a whole two extra episodes of what we call Locklisteds, which is Andy, me and Nikki talking about the books, music and films we've enjoyed in the previous fortnight.